True story. Years ago, I had no idea what Everly stock was. I couldn't pronounce it. I didn't know they made bags. And then one day I came to work and the um, teammate that was in charge of buying bags for everybody had chosen Everly stock bags, which looked kind of weird to me. It wasn't what I was used to. And I don't like new gear. But no kidding, I put that bag on my back, loaded it up with weight, and I've never worn another bag since. Eberly Stock, they make not only the most comfortable gear, but the best gear. They're always trying to get better. Uh, I love that about them. And if you head over to their website and check out all of their bags and all their apparel, which is always being updated um, with the latest and greatest stuff, put in the ones ready code, you're going to get a 10% discount. So since then, uh, we've gotten to know the company. Uh, we had... Glenn Everly on the podcast. He's a fantastic person, a veteran, former Olympian, and innovator. So make sure you uh, head over there, everlystock.com, put in the code ones ready, and get yourself some of the best gear that I've ever seen and or used in my life. First of all, this is this is some of that unreleased that new new. This raspberry uh, from Hoist is fantastic. Like I, yes, I don't know if is. you're hip, but oh my god, the raspberry Hoist raspberry literally changed my life. I opened it up. I thought it was you know not going to be that big of a difference. You know how. Most drinks, everything tastes like roughly the same, right? Like you can tell like, oh, this is a hoist. It's just a different flavor. This raspberry is completely different. I was like, get in my belly longer than that. Like I won't even, I have the packets, which are my favorite. So like the, I can't remember which, which uh, fruit punch is my favorite packet flavor, but I will literally drink those packets just to be like, Ooh, which one? And then (laughs) I'll be like, after the sauna or something, I'll be super tired and I'll be like, Today's a raspberry hoist day. It's like a little treat for myself. <laughs> just a little victory. Just small little victories. It's cool. <laughs> I just, it's just, it's a little treat for myself. And there's our hoist read. So I, I guess we can start now. Look, we even included, we even included a product spot. No kidding. Like, see, it, Ty, you think it's not going to work out, but it does. You don't think you're going to be like that, but it do. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I feel like that's a good place to start. We're here in the team room. It's obviously Peaches and myself. Today, we brought on somebody that you guys have been waiting to talk to, uh, PJ, schoolhouse instructor, and not just any instructor, mind you, I dare say a friend, PJ instructor, flight chief, Ty Hatcher, or <laughs> Ty Hatcher. Thanks for coming on, dude. What's up, man? Hey, you guys. Awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me out today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's all risk for you and all reward for us. So that's, you know, the area that we really love to live in. So uh, just start off and, and let us know, you know, who you are. Obviously, you're you're a PJ because you work at the Pararescue and Crow Schoolhouse. But uh, tell us a little bit about your career and how you wound up at the schoolhouse. Yeah, so uh, started just the school, just started normal, just like everybody went to NDOC, did the whole pipeline after that. Then after that, I went to Davis Mothin. I was there for about four years. Um, three different deployments, a couple to Afghanistan, and then one to Africa. Uh, in Africa, we did a lot of fixed wing. There was some rotary, rotary wing down there as well. And then over in Afghanistan, attached with different services, was out there pretty close back to back in the same year. And then rotary wing deployment with the PJs as well. I was looking at my next assignment. I like instructing. I've done it in the past. So I was like, hey, I'm going to go to the schoolhouse, kind of enjoy that for a bit and start just trying to slow down my tempo a little bit because I was gone pretty much 200 to 300 days a year and was getting tired of just running so hard, living out of bags. And so made that switch and started off over at the schoolhouse and just teaching medicine, teaching tech rescue, uh, became a section chief. So I had three different phases underneath me. I had tactics, land nav, 
and Seer. Sorry, uh, Tactics, Weapons, and Seer. And then after that, moved up to Flight Chief, and now I'm running the entire Apprentice course with my counterpart, uh, Captain Crutchfield. So we do that together. And that's pretty much where we're at. It's been a pretty good time ever since. Man, that's that's awesome. And obviously, as you know, a former instructor, I think, you know, Peaches was asking before we got in here, you were getting there just as I was leaving. Peaches was like, you know, were you guys there at the same time? And I remember you had in processed and, and we knew each other, you know, before before I bounced out to the two two. But I can't wait to dig in all that stuff. And I'm going to do everybody a favor. So podcast listeners and people watching on YouTube, you're welcome. I'm not going to make any jokes today. I'm going to let I'm going to let Ty talk. I don't I don't think I'm a comedian. I did not put any makeup on today. I tried to use no filter to make sure I, I even checked. So, uh, you know what? I don't think anybody's going to have any bad comments for me in the section. I do want to talk a little bit. How <laughs> I'm very wrong. There's Somebody's already making a meme about me right now. I don't care. It's, it, it, it just is what it is. I'll put it on the wall with the rest of them. Um, Ty, I, I did want to talk here because you had a really well-rounded set of experience that you started off with right like and it's everything that people are listening and they want to do you know they they see the things where they're like i want to go attached to seals i want to go attached to army special forces teams and that's called layer one pr uh and then you talk about the fixed wing mission and having that ability to have a jump mission or, or really go a really long distance in order to get to a survivor or, or in order to get to a problem set and then you talked about the more classic or, or something that they always connect with, which is is that rotary wing sort of mission set where you're doing that reactive CSAR or reactive PR. Um, I, I just kind of want to open that conversation and, and talk about how multifaceted PJs are because people always ask us, you know, what's better, ST or rescue or which which mission set is better. But, you know, you as, as an instructor of the schoolhouse, you have to teach people to be good at all of those things you know, kind of, kind of as a baseline. So I'll start with this one. What was your favorite mission set? You know, whether it be from a deployment or whether it be from, you know, just a single, you know, contingency thing, like what, what was your favorite thing to do? Um, you know, when you were, when you were on the road for, for those 200 days a year. So my favorite thing to do, I think is pretty much everybody's, which is the wind tunnel. So always a great <laughs> Dude, time. We just went, Everybody has we just a great time going to the wind tunnel. It's, it's, <laughs> see, that's great, what I'm saying. It's answer. the ultimate bros trip. It really and is. So I think that's pretty much everyone's favorite thing to do. But for like deployments or anything like that, I uh, got attached with the army. And so just headed out the door with them. I was out there for like 105 days or something around there, whatever their normal rotation cycle was. And I loved that because I was in charge of just me. I could show up when I needed to. It was all big boy rules for me. Show up when I needed to. I just dressed how they dressed. Uh, hair, how they had theirs, all the stuff. And just my whole goal was just to blend in. But all I had to do is just show up whenever they needed me. So I'd be there. Other than that, I could go lift with them. I could go train with them, anything like that. Accountability pretty much wasn't there unless I was missing anything. I could go interface with the other PJs on base whenever I wanted. And so it was just a pretty low stress environment where you always hear about like additional taskers for things. There was none. So it's one of those moments where you're like, man, this is great. No additional work. I can just sit here, be here, and focus on my job. And so that was probably my favorite deployment that I've had so far. Well, for a superstar like you, that's amazing because you're going to crush it. Like when you, when you take the constraints off of PJs in those environments, you, you just see them just do good work. Terrifying for somebody that doesn't want to be there, though. I'm hearing you talk, and I'm just like, no, oh, God, no accountability. <laughs> and you're like, you need, you need the right guy for that because you know, some guys... <laughs> Some guys ain't the right dudes. And I'm, of course, 
of course, talking about myself. So that we got we got we got you through uh, kind of that entire thing, um, you know, of, of all that experience, and we talked about kind of that transition down to Kirtland Air Force Base to the to the PJ Crow Schoolhouse. It was it was a weird thing for me when I left the schoolhouse and then I came because I hadn't been back. I I came back to the to the new building for people that aren't tracking. There used to be an older building on the west side of Kirtland Air Force Base that was the schoolhouse. So I graduated from that building when I got back to the schoolhouse in 2015. There's the brand new schoolhouse where it stands today. And and that was part of the shock for me, right? Like I came back and I was in that AETC environment again and, and it was even a new building. Did you have that same sort of shock when you were around? It's a whole new generation of people at this point and it's a whole new building and, and yada, yada, yada. How did, how did you feel that first kind of, you know, few months when you were back? It was, it was definitely a big shock. I went through where the new schoolhouse is. So I went through about a decade ago. So I was pretty close to when the okay. new schoolhouse just finished getting set up. And it was weird transitioning when you all of a sudden you're on the other side of the curtain and you see these students looking at you and kind of like going towards the wall to get at parade rest. And I'm like, whoa, I've only been here for like two days. Last time I was here, I was on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'm going to pause you right there just to to tell everybody. So there is a there is a tradition at the schoolhouse, and this has been a tradition since I don't I don't know forever. Like, I, and it's combat control; it's all aspect war, right? Like, if an instructor or if any combat mission support personnel are walking down the hallway, it is a tradition and a, and a thing in our culture for the students to move to the side. So they will basically, you know, come to parade rest, and they will get to the side to let you walk down the hallway. Um, and man, Ty, I'm I am glad you said that. It always made me feel weird. <laughs> it is. It, that was the weirdest thing when people would start moving. I'd be like, okay, just, just go. This is weird. Get it, get, get down the hallway. Yeah. I'm pretty much still in the point where it's like, I'm the flight chief and I have like 20 instructors underneath me, but it's, I'll still have these random students in the hallway. And it's just, I'm like, Hey man, you're good. Just go. Like, we'll get through this one together. Neither of us knows what to do right now. <laughs> We're both and there. So, yeah. I'm just like, I, Okay. Like the weird one was when I just got frustrated with a student one day and I was just like, wait a minute. No, no, don't just drop, just drop. <laughs> and I was just thinking like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I can do that. Yeah. Just knock you know out what? a set, man. And then go on with your life and be better. <laughs> it's funny because, uh, and I, so back in January, I was, I went, Hey, I think it was January. I, we went and visited uh SWIC and ANS with, you know, a bunch of PJ chiefs, bunch of crows and stuff like that from the units. And Ivan Ruiz, having been an in-doc instructor, um, you know, he, he just immediately went into that role whenever students was around. And me having never been a, a like a, an in-doc or a, a basic course kind of instructor, like a, an apprentice course type instructor, like that was very new to me. And he, he fit the role immediately. <laughs> And I definitely would not be good in that because I'm cracking up. <laughs> I could not maintain any kind of bearing or anything. Some of the things that Ivan would do and say, and, and he's not even an instructor down there at the time. He's just kind of like, you know, it, it was just, it was really funny and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And I definitely am not the right person for that job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when they're, they're looking for, like, somebody to hammer these students to really, like, teach a, a good lesson, it's not me. Like, <laughs> you just know your wheelhouse. There's guys that are naturals, and I just know I'm not one of them. 
But no, I'm the, I'm the I'm the guy that would be very just. I'm not going to yell. I'm just going to give you the kind of disappointed dad. Mm. And John Smith, you're going to you're going to do a lot of PT. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not me. Like I try my best at it, but there's naturals. Let them have it. But so like first showing up, it was weird, and it still is today. But it's fun trying to see like the impact you can have especially because the pipelines change so much. Pretty much all we get students now is just at uh, the apprentice course. So everything else, they're over at Lackland. So we used to have those like couple years where you'd get to know them as a casual. You'd get to know them as like just walking through the halls. You'd start seeing the faces, seeing the names. You'd see people just They'd naturally come out to you pop on, up. Yeah, they, they come out on trips. Like you have students that will come out and support trips for the, the team that's mm-hmm. going through. And you would you would know that group of students like – Everybody had their favorite, you know, their favorite cone. Like, hey, man, you know, we got to get a weapons request together. Okay, well, go get Johnson because he actually didn't screw it up last time. So he's going to be my dude. And and you actually do develop a pretty, pretty good relationship with those students. Yeah. And it's that's a weird relationship that always exists because you have to keep it very professional. And like if you see him outside the schoolhouse, you don't talk to him like anything like that. Just because the student instructor relationship has to be maintained. But it's one of those things where it's now we don't have that. And so I'm going to call it like just indirect mentorship is something that we don't get as much anymore just because we only get them for such a small period of time. They'll show up about a month before the apprentice course starts. And then after that, they're leaving pretty quick unless they're hanging around right now for our free fall. But other than that, we aren't seeing these guys anymore. So they're spending a lot more time down at Lackland and I don't know what they're doing down there really, but not to say right, wrong, and different. It's just from our optic, we don't get that time with them, which we actually did enjoy quite a bit. Right. And I, I want to clarify, because we're going to get hit on it. Even though you've said it explicitly, I, here's what we need to do, because this is the world we live in. So what what Ty is talking about is that now we front-loaded the pipeline, right? So what used to happen is you used to go through assessment selection, pre-dive, and dive. And usually when you got done with dive, you started looking for those PCS orders out to Kirtland, and you would spend most of your pipeline at Kirtland and you would go to the other associated schools. Like sometimes you get airborne or seer knocked out if you were down at Lackland. But really, it was after after that dive area, you were starting to look at that PCS to Kirtland. That is no more. Now what they do is everybody stays at uh, Lackland or at JBSA for an extended period of time. You're going to go through all of your training to include paramedics. So you'll go through what we're calling MP3 now through Lackland. And then, well, JBSA, Joint Base San Antonio, and I'm never going to be able to stop saying Lackland or call it Medina. I realize it's the Chapman Training Annex. I, I can't. I'm old. <laughs> um, however, so that's that's what Ty is talking about, right? So you're going to spend most of your time at San Antonio, and then you'll PCS to Kirtland. And, and one of the unintended second-order consequences of that is that you don't get that that mentorship time. And you're right. You do develop uh, relationships with those students down there. So, Yeah. But I will Sorry, say, like somebody in the comments no, no. is going to be like, "What is he talking about? What, what you don't go to Kirtland? What uh, they they told us that we go to Kirtland?" Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's a lost opportunity on our end, but it's a gained opportunity on theirs. So they're spending more time there, so they can really have that larger impact. And then we'll just have them at the apprentice course, which is also all right. We love having them at the apprentice course, and so the apprentice course, from when I went through, and I'm sure from a lot of people before me went through, it's completely different now. It used to almost be an attrition course where it was really just 
very physically demanding, unrealistic timelines, constant uh, un unmet expectations where they would give you a standard, you would fail to meet it. Impossible standards consistently. It's changed a lot for the better. It's now really a lot more mentorship and develop because we've realized it was at the end of the pipeline. So we have guys that were getting ready to send out to the field. They're going to go deploy potentially like 30 days, 60 days right after getting out of there. They have, they're going to a team. They need to learn how to be able to integrate and actually talk to a team member instead of only being able to stand at parade rest, just ask a basic question when they don't know. <laughs> and so now we're really focusing on that mentorship and develop. So it's not as physically demanding as it used to be. It used to be just brutal. Now we're really trying to teach them. So we're pulling a lot of stuff out of the Ranger handbook, trying to get those joint practices. We are trying to go more in depth with medicine. We're trying to get them more in depth with technical rescue, teach them foundational principles so that when they go to any team across the board, they have a solid foundation to build off and then they can start learning how that team does it. Follow all their standard operating procedures or those SOPs that you always hear about because every team's going to be different. But at least now they'll have something to pull information from and they can start understanding why. And those teams can really build on it, which is the whole point of the five and seven level. And so that's really where we focus all of our efforts now in the schoolhouse. I, I like that kind of model. And, and let me put this to the front side of it. Like I, I have never been to the apprentice course, uh, PJU or PJ university that we used to call it, but, um, I've always heard that it's extremely professional. So kudos to, to you and the instructors that are out there because it, it all the products, at least when I was at the 22nd, all, all of those PJs that would come out of there were extremely professional. And I've talked about it before. Uh, so I won't bring it up again, but they, they always come out. So I, really professional. And I like that you guys are almost front loading a lot of that um, professional mentorship and stuff like that. So that's, that's really good. But um, so kind of going on to like, cause a lot of people that are watching this are like, we just, we just did a, a special warfare candidate course uh, episode with uh, somebody. I won't mention their name because they didn't want their name mentioned, but um, and then we did one with ANS, right? So as as we're looking at the, the PJ Schoolhouse or the PJ Apprentice course, like when uh, candidates show up day one, what are they expecting? So you show up day one, and we're just going to make an assumption for this conversation that they've already completed freefall because that's a okay. pipeline management issue that we're just working through, and we've we're on track for a solid solution, so it should go back to the normal. And so with that being said, they show up, they're just going to end process. They're going to end process with our MTLs. They're going to end process with med. It's an intensive process. that's going to take a while. And so they can expect to kind of just be away from any type of cadre interaction for a bit while they're just doing all their normal PCS stuff. And so once that's all done, then they're going to start working out with uh, human performance. And so HP is going to try and just get some baseline numbers to figure out where these guys are at. And then usually about a week before the apprentice course starts, we're going to do a CFT. And so career field fitness test, it's, if you've heard of the OFT, the operator fitness test, same thing, just slightly different standards. And then once they pass that, then about a week later, they're going to start the apprentice course and they're going to go straight into med. 
So just an overview of the apprentice course, how we really operate it is it starts off with our med phase where we take essentially street paramedics and MP3s trying to start teaching them all the field medicine as well. So, but generally just street paramedics into working out of a backpack. So they're used to working with two individuals in the, on the, in the street, but now they have to figure out all the critical decision-making on their own. They have to figure out how to do um, all the patient movements, all everything, all the procedures. There's no longer, hey, man, can you uh, get an IV going while I'm doing this over here? It's on you. Because we want them to independently operate. That's the big thing. One medic should be able to treat two critical patients. That's the standard that PJs just have across the board. And so you have to develop up to that. Once you finish that, you're going to start doing your tech rescue phase. Your tech rescue phase is a ton of fun. It's very low stress. You haven't had this skill anywhere else in the pipeline. So our expectations for you are to not even know how to tie a knot. And so when you come in with expectations that low, very few people fail to meet them. <laughs> but it <laughs> happens. Go up. And I, I wouldn't, well, you would be surprised. Some people like, some people bring shovels to tech rescue and I've seen people <laughs> dig under <laughs> that standard. Oh yes. And so. Our expectations are low, which makes it kind of low stress for us because we're still making sure the environment's safe for the student because it's a high-risk training event. But on the flip side, it's your expectations for them for where they are when they show up are so low that it's like, sure, they're there. They showed up on time. But it's a ton of fun. You go out to the field. You're on mountainsides. You're raising patients. You're a patient. You just get to have a lot of interaction with it. And we have tons of different environments that we're constantly in so that you can just get that exposure. Start seeing out how I can grab multiple bushes to make an anchor, how I can use different gear to make an anchor, everything. And we're putting you in those environments that we've picked very specifically for that experience. You'll finish up there and then you'll move right into weapons phase. And so our weapons phase is phenomenal right now. We have Rich Gipple who has completely redone it. That man, like I see you the shaking legend. your head, Aaron. The mm -hmm. legend, the legend. I can't say good enough things about. It. So, just to give you an idea of who this instructor is, because I I love him, and I I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but Rich, what's up? Um, it that guy. So, first of all, he was a twenty year Cadams troop, and he never left rescue. That guy worked for like eighteen years or something in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I met him. So, I I actually, you know, Rich and I knew each other in in active duty, and we were lucky enough to steal him as talent down at the schoolhouse and he's been working there ever since like that that guy's been there longer than the tiles on the floor have um i think he worked in the <laughs> old building and then moved over to the new one but he is a savant when it comes to course of fire progression or you know military firearms instruction the guy if you think about it the guy teaches you know i don't know thousands of hours um you know every year on on weapons handling manipulation like the guy is really a goo if i had any any weapons question and i still do if I have a weapons question, mm -hmm. a course of fire question, a, a range question, I, I have Rich Gipple on speed dial. Yeah, he's one of those guys where I've watched him literally diagnose what's wrong with the weapon when a guy was like, yeah, it's just making this sound. And he's like, oh, go check this. And he was spot on first try. And so, yeah. And so the advantage that we have with, uh, we have some program managers, these civilians here, is we've been able to build momentum. And so we have people like Rich Gibble, where it's, he now has like a weapons handbook that he's made. And so very particular guy. So it's just tons of quality information for our shooter. So we can hand that off. The standards that these guys are leaving is they can outshoot most people 
when they leave our course with either a Glock or an M4. They just get after it. So we'll finish that up and then we switch over to sear phase. And sear phase, it's really a, more like that survive. For shoot, move, communicate, survive. So, so we've pulled a whole bunch of tactics into it. It used to just be land nav, but now it's you're patrolling with your team using map and compass. You're still hitting a star course for a lot of things so that we can make sure that you personally have the baseline skills. But it's all our non-contact formations and everything that we're working with. And so you'll finish up seer phase and then you'll roll into tactics. Day one of tactics, you're doing contact drills. So we're teaching them starting off just bang, bang, right behind our schoolhouse. It's flat. You have tons of line of sight. You can literally see the target that's going to pop up. But we want that. Like, we want that so that you aren't getting surprised. You can say, we're starting our patrol. Oh, hey, that's our target, I'm guessing. And it's going to be. Because we're telling you which way to walk. You're walking directly into the contact. I'll tell them day one. And it's so that they can start building those foundational levels. And we'll just have them start off with nugs. Bang, bang, bang. And so that they don't have to worry about aiming, pulling triggers, anything. It's just, hey, I'm looking forward. My nugs pointing in the right direction. How do I just even move? Because right. when you think about it, you're teaching these guys how to just walk together. And they've never done it before. And it sounds simple right. when you say it, but all of a sudden when I start talking about, hey, I need you to maintain spacing here. I need you to maintain just a line of sight to your right, to your left. It's, it starts becoming a lot with all the constant critiques. And so you're starting there. And so we don't want all these extra distractors. After a day or so of that, then it's, hey, okay, we'll start giving them M4s again with blanks. And so we got Miles gear, I-Miles, so integrated... Uh, Integrated multiple, I don't remember what the eye is actually, multiple integrated laser engagement system. I forgot what the eye is. It's laser vest, people. We're playing laser tag, damn it. You guys get it. Pew, oh, pew, yeah. Pew. Wow, you hit them with the, the finger guns. I hit it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, like we got these, and those were a game changer because now not only are they shooting blanks, but those blanks actually make the miles gear work. And so now we can give that feedback that, hey, you're getting shot at. I can do a near hit, I can do a hit, I can do whatever I want. And now these students are getting some type of feedback instead of just saying, the bullets are close to you. They're getting closer. And then watching an instructor throw little pebbles <laughs> at you. Like I'm sure yeah. like you two have been there. We were By like, the way, oh I've, yeah. I've been that instructor. I've been the instructor See? throwing pebbles. It's hitting right next to you as I'm throwing rocks at a grown man. Like LARPing, mm -hmm. the LARPing is strong in the career field. <laughs> That's it. And, that, and that's, that's the last phase? No, no, no. Like, oh, okay. I'm so, sorry. Uh, yeah, no. Like, so, like, we've stepped it quite a bit further than a lot of people realize when they come back. And so after you finish up tactics phase, you'll go spend time in the field. We'll do out and backs where you're doing missions as a team. And just expectation management. You're going to be put in positions that, like, you're supposed to have, like, 10 years experience to be able to thrive in. And you won't have that experience. You're going to do bad. But that's what we're there for. Our job is to help keep the rails on the track so that you guys can learn from it and not just be a catastrophic failure because you guys didn't have a team sergeant. You didn't have a team commander. You didn't have an element leader. You didn't have any of these key positions. You got people who are brand new apprentices or one levels even still trying to do better. And it's we get that. And so just keep some expectation management. You'll finish up that. You'll go to air ops, which will be rotary wing and fixed wing, and you'll also do water operations. 
where you're going to be jumping out of a helicopter into the water. It's probably one of the funnest phases. Real easy, real low key. You're down at Lake Havasu for a bit. It's a great place to train. Everyone should go always. 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 Yeah. Everyone should always go to Lake Havasu. Like if you have a choice of where you're gonna do your we're getting ready to do some water ups up here. Um it's it's mid May. It's still only sixty degrees. Like, come on, dog. Like, can we figure this out, Pacific Northwest? Like, we're talking about wearing dry suits to go do this stuff and y'all are going down to Lake Havasu. This is why old guys get mad, Ty. Is because when I look when I look at the weather report and I'm getting ready to go do this same exact iteration up here in the Pacific Northwest and it's 40 degrees and raining out, I look at the students at Lake Havasu and it makes me so mad. Yeah, like we intentionally pick somewhere warm so all they would need ever is a wetsuit. And so <laughs> smart. we're like, we don't want them in dry suits. Nope, we want to do wetsuits. But the flip side, that means I'm in a wetsuit. Oh, I don't have to be moving in a dry suit. And so... <laughs> You'll finish up that. You'll do some. Uh, you'll go do some parachuting operations, and then you finish there, and you go into the final evaluation phase, which is about a two-week-long phase, and that's where we're going to test PJs out on medicine, and then crows out on all of their pro items. So, like, they'll have to do full mission profiles, and so they have five or six different types that they have to do of just different flavors, and then finish up that and you've graduated the apprentice course and we'll give you orders to your next unit. Uh, one of the popular questions we get from guys here is when do I get orders for the next unit? When do I find out? And that's usually at, towards the end of air operations. About the first month or two, we'll have you put in for your dream sheet. Then after that, like towards air operations, chief will have those finalized. Oh, nice. You just answered a question that I was going to ask, but that's that's really good because that that is a burning question for a lot of people. Is that, <laughs> at what point do I get my orders and where am I going? You know, how do I know where I'm going and do I have any influence mm -hmm. over it? And that's that's good. And and in reality, do you have much influence over it? Probably not. You're just throwing it on a dream sheet and wherever the career field mm -hmm. needs you to go, you're going to go. Mm -hmm. But at least maybe you have a smidgen of uh, saying where you go. <laughs> yeah, actually. uh for your top three, we, uh, we'll have you do your top three places that you want to go. For those top three, you have a really good chance at getting them. There's very few students that don't get one of those three picks. And so a lot of them, we can usually get their top pick, and we do try. But it's a, it's a best effort thing. Every yeah, now I mean, and then you you'll can't... hear... Yeah, yeah. You you can't you can't satisfy everybody's uh, you know desires and stuff like that. You do your best you can um, with the constraints that you're given. You you kind of mentioned one thing about uh, take a step back a little bit. You had talked about um, kind of them being level ones and or one levels and not you know not having the experience of having a team sergeant or anything like that but you probably get a decent amount of cross trainees that are coming in um from other career fields within you know within the air force and then maybe even some army or navy folks and marines but like as a, a as an instructor there what is your and it being an apprentice course what is your expectation of those cross trainees so this is something we go back and forth with all the time. And so you'll hear like, a, you'll have a staff sergeant come through, you'll have a tax sergeant come through, whatever the prior service experience is. Um, sometimes you'll get Marines that come through. And our expectation is that they can still be 
performing in that th- at that three skill level that we need them to when they graduate. No more, no less. And the reason being is because it's an unrealistic expectation for somebody who's never been a PJ to all of a sudden be performing at this very high level. They're going through the exact same curriculum. And so to expect to have a different result is just, it doesn't happen. And every now and then you'll get those guys and maybe he has no prior experience that for whatever reason, this guy is just an all-star. He just crushes every part of it. And you'll see those guys and you're like, yep, dibs on him when he gets to a team. Everybody wants the all-star. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're like, that's my horse right there. Give me that guy. mm -hmm. Get that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because people call us from units and they'll be like, hey, which guys do we want? And I'm like, hey, I would go for these ones. And they're like, okay, cool, man. Thanks. Good to know. And so. (laughs) Nice. Like everybody does it. We get phone calls all the time. Like three new guys showed up. What do you know about them? Well, we know quite a bit. We just had them for six months. Right. And I want to highlight it here too. Like this stuff happens, like your reputation, you start building your reputation from the day one that you take your initial fitness test at home with your recruiter. End of statement. You are your, your rotate. Like when you, when you graduate the apprentice course and you put that beret on for the first time and you hear, you know, blouse boots and Don berets, it's not like everybody's like, okay, cool. You know, your journey starts now. You know, you may have those boots, blouse, and that beret, but we still remember everything that you did in the pipeline. And our friends call us because we might not have the time. Our, our team leader friends, you know, especially you're talking, you know, time mentioned it earlier, but you could be deployed, you know, within, you know, 30, 60, 120 days uh, from when you get to your first unit. So we need all of that information about, you know, personality and performance and ability to work on your own because, just like Ty started off with, we have a ton of mission sets that we could do. And young PJs are asked to do more on their own than I'd say any other career field. You know, you're, you're really put in these positions where sometimes you are alone on a team. Sometimes you are required to make your own decisions in your own lane at your own level. And we, we put that decision way earlier on, on guys and gals than, than other career fields in the Air Force and even other career fields in aspect war. So you really need to be able to, uh, to be able to operate in those environments. And sometimes the team leaders are like, most times really the team leaders like, Hey, what do you know about this guy? How are they? How, how do they do? I mean, I did it myself as a flight chief. I called down to friends down there and said, Hey, you know, I got a couple of these guys. I'm taking them on deployment right away. I mean, I think I deployed my two, three level PJs. You know, we went out to the, the deployment we did, I think less than six months after they got to the team and, you know, they're at an ST and, and they're doing a completely different mission set. One that they, they'd never seen before. And, you, you, you got to get that information. So that being said, we're always professional, everybody. We're not going to tell all of your bad stories unless you have a hilarious one. And then, sorry, like, that's what you get. Welcome to the no, team. It also, it also doesn't mean that you can't, like, when we talk about, hey, failing fast or don't dwell on your mistakes, it's not those kind of mistakes that we sit here and like, oh, oh let me tell these guys about, you know, you know, he tied a knot incorrectly or, you know, he blew this idiot. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Try and get me to tie anything other than a, an inside bowling or, <laughs> or a freaking square knot. Right. But, uh. <laughs> like, you know, but Hey, you know, uh, maybe a negligent discharge might follow you for a bit. It doesn't mean that you can't recover from it. Right. But like, you know, that's a big freaking deal. So um, if you're not gone, um, maybe you can recover from it, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. We're we're building a a resume, if you will, uh, from from day one. 
So like we want to know the product that we're getting. And that's why I said that, Ty, like I'm really, really happy with every single person that I've come out of the PJ schoolhouse. Like, and, and that's not just the PJ schoolhouse. I'm talking about, you know, SR and CCT and TACP as well. Like I'm really happy with this new generation. It's definitely different. And the biggest struggle that we've had at our schoolhouse is trying to teach guys that sometimes you just got to work. And so there's this big disconnect. And so looking for faster ways, looking for more efficient ways, which are great. But sometimes I just need a guy to stop trying to problem solve and just pick something up and put it in. And that's really where our big disconnect is, where we're trying to get guys to embrace that. Because that's what we have after actions for. That's what we have debriefs for, where it's, guys, something didn't go right about this. Let's figure out how I can do this better next time. But it's not always the time to problem solve really in depth in the moment when I just need to get a patient into a vehicle. Sometimes you just pick them up and put them in. Right. We used to, uh, and it's funny how, you know, things change, but, but things stay the same. You know, there's a, a mass casualty that we usually do at the, the final uh, evaluation phase. One of the best teams that I ever saw uh, perform in the mass casualty is they just did exactly what you said. Like, hey, we're going to problem solve this later. Give me a 90% solution and we're going to solve the other 10% with just good old American muscle. And they would get to a patient. They would stop life threats and they wouldn't wait for a litter. They wouldn't do anything. Those dudes just hossed the patients up, put mm-hmm. them on their back and ran over to their team leaders like, okay, where do we want to go now? And I'll worry about a litter here in a second, but that's a, that's an outstanding way to kind of, to, to kind of put it is like, sometimes you just need to do the work. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you just need to work hard and not everything is going to be some slick technological solution. Not everything is going to be some wacky out of the box thing where you're like, Oh, because I thought really hard about it. We don't have to sweat now. That's not the point, man. (laughs) Like sometimes you got to put the gloves on and go to work. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly it. I don't, I hate it when my, why is my skin crying? Uh, that's called sweat, Aaron. Uh, it's, it happens when you get hot. Um, you kind of alluded to it here and I, and I want to, I want to transition into this because the only people that are worried about this more than people coming in are the people that are in the career field right now. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's the entitlement of this new generation. It's the differences between the new team and the old team. First of all, let me say the new team always hates the old team. When you get in on shift and you're working on a 24-hour shift, you're going to get in. You'll be like, the morning guys never replace the water. They always <laughs> leave the refrigerator open, and they know they're not supposed to. And then when the Bravo fight, you know, the Bravo guys get in, they're like, Alpha, Alpha team's so dumb. The night guys never actually get us ready to go and do the paperwork. So, like, everybody's going to complain about it, right? Because there's only two things we hate in these career fields, the status quo and any change. Um, <laughs> but... As, as Peach has kind of alluded to, you know, we, we're early adopters. We see, I, I have apprentices on my team. I have products of the new apprentice course and the new pipeline that we're working with right now um, at the ST unit. So we, we are typically on the other side of it where we're like, hey, you know, there are some things that they, they fail at, but there's a lot of things that they're better at. So we'll start with, with that first one is in this new generation, these, these, these darn kids, as, as we say, the Gen Zs. Um, you know, how, how has the schoolhouse changed? I heard, you know, scout, uh, or not scout, but like, you know, mentor and coach more than just the, the punch in the face. And to go off on a, tan- on a tangent there, you know, people are kind of going to freak out because you're, you said earlier, oh, well, the apprentice course, we made it less physical. 
let me give you an example of some just nonsense. <laughs> in the seer phase, we used to do an overland and the for no reason, no reason at all. They'd just be <laughs> like, okay, well, you got to do this overland and we're going to put this wacky scenario on top of it. But the overland was like 25 clicks long through, you know, terrain that was heinous. Just ab- And you would be just crushed. And they'd be like, cool, we taught you how to land nav. And we're like, no, you didn't. You were chasing me all night. Like, and if you caught me, you were going to pour water on me and make me freezing and then tell me that I didn't have any food for the rest of that. Like, what are we doing here? Right. So that's an example of like now they're patrolling and not just doing land nav by themselves. They're actually patrolling and being part of a team and figuring out how to do battle drills, like battle drills one through six, like all of these things. So what are some other examples that you guys have changed down there to really like engage and get get the the Gen Zs engaged, whether it be, you know, tablets to carry around their 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 coursework material or, or some other way that you guys are engaging these these younger darn people. So one of the biggest changes is we're getting away from this idea that they used to have where it was like just carry your notebook everywhere. Like we carry our notebooks everywhere with our students. Don't get me wrong. We aren't getting rid of that so that they can take stuff. But we're also giving them field guides for phases where they put it in their pocket. So when you're trying to teach somebody ropes, they can pull that out and have a picture of a rope system and then actually annotate on that picture that's drawn. They don't have to go through this. Okay, what am I going to make a carabiner like? Oh, mm-hmm. this is my carabiner. This is what I'm going to make a pulley look like on this picture. But then they can ask each other. They can pass it around their standard imagery that they're looking at so that they can all build off it. And so each one of them has that. But then they can take it home and they have a good image of what they're looking at so that they know it's not their terrible drawing that they tried to figure out in the moment. Yeah, when you got like 15, 20 years of experience, you're like, oh, yeah, I know exactly how to draw this. And it's like, neat. These students don't have that. And so we're starting to give them a lot more course material. So for like tech rescue, you get a field guide and it's only like 50 pages. It's not very big, but it has all those pictures. It has all the explanations and it's all the information we care about. So we've already dissected everything important and relevant. So we can hand that to you so that you don't have to search through reading like 20 different books to try and figure it out or stay on the internet for an hour. We can start actually making their at home, like their homework and stuff, a lot more deliberate so that they can learn that. Um, Weapons phase, same thing. Like their weapons manual. You can flip through there. You can learn how to zero a weapon. You can learn how to clean a weapon, take it apart, These all these different things. So that when you tell a student, hey, I need you to clean your weapon, well, you got to remember this student's only taken it apart like once in BMT and maybe once in this class. So to expect them to be proficient in breaking down an M4 and then cleaning it on their own, it's completely unrealistic. And so when you're wondering like, oh, why are these students taking so long? It's because they have no clue. They've done it twice. It's not like when after like a decade now, when you're like, hey, guys, we got to go clean weapons. And everybody's like, Cool. They just bring it over the table. They just start busting it open, ripping this thing apart. And everybody's just having a conversation like, oh, hey, yeah, no, no. Like, I think I'm going to go here this weekend. No, these students are trying (laughs) to actually figure out where these pins are that they can push so they can pull it open and be like, all right, that's done. Next thing. I had to get that thing out somehow. And so we're giving them these resources that they can actually be successful with. And they can take it home. They can read it. 
And then in tactics phase, they have the same type of deal. But it's in tactics, we encourage them to have it on them always because they're using it for that decision-making where it's, they have a reference that can help them. It's like, how am I going to cross this road? Will it be a type one? And they're like, type one, what was that? Boom, mm -hmm. pull it open. Because if you look at it, like we used to do that in med phase, everybody had right. a med handbook on them. They're always like, yep. why wouldn't you have a med handbook? And you're going to give medications. Why don't you crack that thing open? Because it's something you don't really know that well. Right. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, oh, cool. There it is. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that thing in that book that it's lab labels all the steps for me. <laughs> right. This thing that, that smart doctors have put together and then put out to the career field. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reference that while I'm doing this task. You know, the Ranger hand, Ranger handbook is pretty good on tactics from what I, mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand. So why not reference that bad boy? Yeah. Cause when you look at it, it's like a student, they're like, I'm going to draw on all this experience that I have. I've been in this phase for two days. So right. yeah, I got no experience and I have no clue what I'm doing right now. <laughs> right. But and I love everything you're saying. Uh, probably just because again, you know, being a schoolhouse alum and seeing how far you guys have pushed the ball, it, it just makes my heart happy, but man, we're going to, we're going to hit you off with a lightning round. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to give you some questions that people often ask us. Um, they're, mm -hmm. they're pretty, pretty quick hitters, but I have a feeling they're going to be easy for you to knock out of the park just because, <laughs> uh, just because they're sad. <laughs> do you recommend that students start studying ahead for the next phase? So when they are in the phase, like let's say they're in weapons and they're worried about seer, do you, do you recommend that they look forward and they start thinking about land nav before they're done with the phase they're in? No, focus on the phase you're in. Nice. Perfect. See, really quick. Was, that really was lightning. Wow. <laughs> Bam. That's it. Lightning round. Done. Um, do you do you see any difference? Like, let's say there's somebody that has been studying tactics on their own. Let's say they're down at San Antonio and they're trying to be good cones. And in between uh, in between their uh, classes and stuff, they start uh, leaning ahead. Do you see any benefit to those those students that have started studying for the apprentice course before you see them? Yes, there is, but don't try to interpret what we want. Once you start the course, you do things how we tell you. Don't try and pull anything from anywhere else because we're pulling from the doctrine we want. So okay. it can help build a base, but like just read your med handbook or just read the ranger handbook and end it there. Don't try and start applying this okay. stuff on your own. Okay. Yeah, I, I what, relate to that so, so well because uh, anytime I would try and get ahead of myself, I would either uh, interpret in incorrectly or learn bad habits. And I would also, it would be at the detriment of the current phase that I'm in just because I'm just not that bright. So I could definitely see a decline in my current phase as I'm trying to get ahead. And it's, it just doesn't work well. Plus it's more difficult for you as instructors because then you have to almost break bad habits or um, kind of, you know, wash all everything that they kind of learned ahead uh and fix things if you will <laughs> let me just throw this out there. the apprentice course is intentionally designed to have you be successful if you only have met the prerequisite courses that's it so we will teach you everything you, you maybe, need maybe if you say it maybe if you say it ty people will listen we say it all the time we're like guys <laughs> gals Listen up. These courses are meant to take you. If you just if you just did the bare minimum, if you were that 70 percent student, if you it, if you graduated every single course at 70 percent, you barely passed. 
you are the course is built to make you successful. That's what it's built to be, right? Ty, am I off? Mm-hmm. No, that's spot on. Okay. Aaron, All real right. Quick, so next, was, was that the, was that the He Man Grayskull freaking? <laughs> it, it, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was the the Skeletor screaming at the sky, but like, hey, <laughs> hey, kids, uh, remember that you're an idiot. And until next time, um, all right. So, Ty, what is what phase in the apprentice course? Because the uh, the apprentice course is still very hard, right? So for yes. us, it was always the the hard part about it is there's magic in the mix. You can be a good free fall jumper and a good medic, and you can be good in like certain in these silos. But when you start mixing those things together, and you're like, well, now you've got to overland to a rope scenario and then you're going to have to treat a patient and then you're going to have to fly on a helicopter on the way out and somewhere in there you're going to take contact or maybe you don't but you still have to patrol and and be tactically minded you know that's hard it's tough for people to mix because uh, these jobs are hard you know the first time and i'm sure peaches can i'm sure peaches can attest to this one the first time that you're you know sprinting trying to get a call for fire trying to get a nine line off while shooting and while moving a team and you know trying to do stuff like that's what we're aiming for right it's not good enough just to be good at these these little things so um but there are different phases what phase do you see the most attrition what what phase do people fail at the most so medical phase is our very first phase and that's where we see the most washbacks consistently so it's just a big change from going from a street medic where you're operating with the team to operating out of a backpack working in the field by yourself and so that's where we see the most washbacks consistently okay as a, and, and as a non as a non-trained paramedic is it is it that big of a difference um between being a, a street medic and being a, a i guess a j or be, being able to triage numerous patients yes it's that big of a difference because you're a street medic you have an ambulance where you have the world and resources available to you with extra hands now you go to the field, you have a backpack and those are your only resources and your expectation is to do it on your own. And so you just don't have a lot of, you don't have that person to bounce ideas off kind of casually or that person who, if they see you kind of stalling, they just move in and start the next part for you. And then you also have to worry about all the resources you're going to be using on a patient. So if I move from one patient to the next, I don't get a refresh in supplies I only have what I have left. And so now that's something I have to be aware of, which is completely different than an ambulance than when you have just shelves of IV fluid. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this too, and and we'll, we'll just continue to pepper questions, but uh, you know, we have an attributes based selection and assessment process. Now we look at attributes the entire way through the career field. What, what would you say are your top two attributes or traits that you see from people to do really well, right? Like, so we talk about grit, teamwork, problem solving, maturity, some, you know, emotional intelligence, some of these other attributes that we roll in. What, what would you say are the common, you know, top two, maybe top three traits of students that are successful? The students with maturity help a lot. And I don't mean age. I just mean being able to do things on their own. <coughs> And so I say that because that carries over into everything. That means like, hey, when I show them how to do a skill, they're going to listen. They are going to try and challenge me on it. Like I'm instructing them on the skill they want. I'm going to test them on the skills I want. So when they challenge me, it's only hurting themselves because we have students who do it. And so the maturity just to be able to listen to what I'm saying, listen to how I want you to do it. But then when you go home, you also practice. 
Um, I've tried to explain it to people for years. A lot of Jays leave the schoolhouse with this hobbyist mentality with how they train. Like, oh, I'm just going to go do wind tunnel. I'm just going to go have some sick jumps. I'm just going to do a random shooting course and just blast rounds. It's going to be awesome. How dare you? Then- I'm right here. I can hear you, Ty. <laughs> That's how I, I have a 20-year career based off of only the best training trips. Oh, God. The <laughs> secrets sure they out, were. everybody. The secrets so- out, everybody. Then you also get these guys, so on the opposite side, where it's sort of like, no, like, I'm training in the profession of war. And they're like, so when I shoot, I'm going to worry about my trigger squeeze, and I'm going to practice that. I'm going to worry about trying to get my sight picture, sight alignment ready to go. And all of a sudden, you'll just see these two people, like, when it comes to their skills, just completely separate. And that guy that's truly training versus this guy who's just having a good time. <coughs> Ugh. You're doing Excuse great. Me. Don't worry about it. We can just Thanks. edit that out. And actually, no, we can't. Yeah, uh, we're not. We're not that good. <laughs> like I think we talked. I think we talked about this earlier. Like we're not that good at this. Yeah. So no worries. <laughs> and so, like you'll see these two, like with that maturity level, it's so huge to where those guys that treat it like the profession of war, what they're truly training for, man, they just they'll just crush their peers. It's absolutely phenomenal. And so how important is maturity? I, 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 yeah. I have to interrupt you there. Sorry, people in the comments. How important is that extra training? Because that is another question we get. You know how you know people. I, I love what you're saying right now. Like I, I, I violently agree with you. Is you can tell the difference between the people that really care and really give those extra reps. How important is that extra after hours training? It's your job. Like your job is to be a trained professional, and so that extra hours. You're going to see guys, some like, uh, we have Master Sergeant Christopher Culpepper. His hobby is shooting. And when you look at how far he's taken his hobby, he's become a literal grandmaster. And so if you're wondering who I want, like, on my side shooting with me, it's the guy that is top in the world. (laughs) Yeah, I want that guy. But that's because he went out of his way and is trained. And so your hobby can be what you train in, but you also have to realize how it applies to the workplace. And so we have to know how to use these skills and make them all work for us. But the big thing is you can't specialize either. You have to have a minimum baseline. If you're terrible at medicine, it'll get you pulled off just as fast as if you're terrible at shooting. It doesn't matter. If you can't jump at all, you'll never go on a fixed wing mission. You're, you're off. That's the end of the conversation. And so you have to still have this ability. Like, well, I, I just had this comment, like, Culpepper, that dude is a freaking master weapons manipulator. That guy. So that, guy that guy is and, a and, surgeon. And, and, and his wife, too. Yeah. Just. Yeah. 100%. Like, the, the team of them, like, if, if there's an incident, like, if you're out in town in <laughs> Albuquerque or Vegas, <laughs> and those two are carrying, good luck. Oh, my goodness. Because both, so, both of them are probably jockeying. For to get the the freaking who's, <laughs> the Conus kill? Who's gonna who's yeah, gonna get out that holster the fastest? I I will say like a a quick story like this guy. I watched him do. We were in Germany at VTAG. This is I mean you know, before 2010. I don't know when it was. Um, I watched Chris Culpepper do a walk back on a range drill with a rifle offhand, and at like I don't know 600 meters, he was he was hitting a a, a steel sized target. And he, we ran out of range. Like we were doing a walk back. He's like, oh, I guess I won. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, Chris. <laughs> That's exactly you oh, did. Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh, yeah. oh man! Did I Turn, win? Turns out. Turns out I'm the single best pistol shooter in the entire United States Air Force. Boy, that's weird. Okay, Chris. All right, cool. Um, well, and, and we kind of covered it there. We went on a little bit of a tangent, but what are the traits you see in in, in failures? Because there are failures. People fail out of the apprentice course. Like mm-hmm. you, you think assessment and selection is it. It's not. Like you are going to be evaluated every single day of from the time that you get into this career field and you get out of assessment and selection, you're being evaluated. And sometimes people don't make the standard. Are there any traits that people share that don't make the standard out of the apprentice course? Yeah. So there's still like the biggest issue we see is when students trying to find a faster way to do something than what we're trying to teach them. Like we're trying to show you, we're trying to close that gap as fast as we can on our side. We're trying to teach you the fastest ways. Like when we deploy or when you leave here, you're going to be on our team. So we aren't trying to hold secrets away from you. We're trying to give you every piece of information in the exact order that you need to do it to be successful. And so you'll see students try and take shortcuts because it's a more efficient movement pattern in their eyes. But they don't understand we're teaching them that movement pattern because it'll work always for them. Because they're a baseline medic, not somebody that has 10 years experience, 20 years experience, where it's, they understand all of the nuances. No, like we're teaching you a certain way because we've refined that for you. And honestly, that's the way a lot of us do it because I show students how to do things exactly how I do them. And everybody has their own flavor. But when you're a student, I want you to have one way that you can do perfectly because Everybody makes it easy in the daytime where it's like, oh, yeah, we're in the daytime. Super easy, super nice. But what you don't realize is I'm training you for night. And so in the daytime, you take the light for granted. It's in the night where you realize all your mistakes. And so if we can get you that foundation, like, don't challenge me on it. Take what I'm saying. Apply it and see if that system works for you. And if not, tell me. Like, if you're saying, hey, I'm struggling with this, just tell me. Because now we can start adjusting things as needed for you. Or I can say, no, this is the issue with how you're trying to do it. So don't do that. Literally had to do this would, yesterday yeah. with students. <laughs> I, I would all, and it's, it's a tale old as time, right? Like one of the things the instructors would always get, you know, really upset about is when a student comes in and you te- you go through like teaching them all this stuff. And they're like, well, but Sergeant, I think I could do it this way. Be like, okay, yeah, you could. But do you do you think that you're the first person on the do you think that the you're going to give me this input and the instructor is going to go back and go, oh, guys, we got to rewrite the course. Johnson figured out the <laughs> secret. You know what I mean? Like there there is no secret sauce, guys. This isn't like Kung Fu Panda. When you graduate, we don't give you the actual playbook. We're not actually asking you to be a student in the pipeline. And then when you graduate, you're like, okay, you're an operator. Here's all the cool things we didn't teach you. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I told you being, a, being an operator is about being good at the basics your entire career and, oh, and yeah. being just going to say, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Don't keep it don't simple. Throw stupid. In, don't throw in 15 extra steps. Cause you think it's cool when you could, when you could crush it in four, right? Like, and then why change up different methods of doing something for, for different things when one or two methods will work because when you're, yeah, we're stress inoculating people, but when you're under pressure and you're under stress and something needs to happen and maybe it's at night and you can't see like 
I'm going to do the same exact thing because I know it works for all of these different things versus like, okay, in this weapons malfunction, I'm going to do this. Now I've got a stovepipe. Let me do this. Now I've got, you know, like, no, if I can, if I can manipulate the weapon or whatever it is, like pick your, pick your poison. Like if I can do it in the same method, every single way, I should do that instead of trying to change it up for every single one, because when it's at night and I can't see, or when it's, like I'm just under pressure. Like I'm going to f- fumble my way through whatever it is. Yeah, my my favorite is the tactics. Is watching the students come out to tactics, and usually it happens after like the first week, right? So the first week, everybody's like, "Okay, cool, here's your gear, or whatever." And then it's that it's that that following Monday, you start looking at people. You're like, "Why do you have a pouch upside down?" On your back. <laughs> uh, well, because Sergeant, I was uh, I was in the prone, right? And I was thinking to myself, how am I going to get to a magazine? So I put a magazine upside down on my back so that I could roll over. And we're like, have you ever seen, like, listen, man, I- I've seen some pretty, you know, high level tier one operators. Oddly enough, they don't have that. They don't, they don't do that. They don't put wacky things and so on wacky pouches. So why do you think you are? Be like, oh, I-, I was just thinking, I think this is the way that I want to roll with it. Okay, my dude. I've actually seen the person that does that in real life. And it was uh, this gal that was on like just uh, on the plane with us. And we asked her, why is your mag pouch like that? She's like, oh, let me tell you. It's so that when I get down, I can hand them to you guys faster. And we're like, fair <laughs> enough. That's the <laughs> Say best no answer. more. <laughs> Say no more, fam. You have me. Give them to me faster. That is fantastic. Yeah, because they're yeah. easier to pull out. I don't have to pull it up. All That's right. It. Um, <laughs> So what, what, what's your favorite part about being an instructor, man? Like what, what, what is the thing that you, you know, for me, it was, you, you kind of already touched on it earlier. For me, it was, I didn't know that I was going to be able to influence, you know, as many people as I did good, bad, or indifferent, right? Whether it was like, mm-hmm. I never want to be like Aaron, or maybe there's something about him that I want to do. And I'm going to steal this thing that he does. Like, I, I didn't know that I was going to have that impact. What's your favorite part about being an instructor at the schoolhouse? My favorite part is when like, you've taught students something and then you'll hear like an instructor, Hey, where'd you learn that? And then they'll be like, Oh, Sergeant Hatcher. They're like, well, you did it right. And here's like, yes, a student <laughs> learned something from me and did it right. And some other instructor said it would look good too. Yeah. It's like, finally, <laughs> I've been validated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you just like, you'll see them, you'll see them. And just like another instructor will be like, yeah, that was really good. Like, and you're just, you're like, awesome. But you see the student applied what you actually taught them to where it's, they're crushing a scenario because of what you taught them. And it's just, it just makes you proud. You're, you're like, there's my little boy. He's just, he's running through the field tying knots all by himself. <laughs> <laughs> definitely carrying a hacky sack with him. So he's definitely <laughs> carrying a hacky sack. <laughs> well, Ty, um, as we kind of, roll into the closing closing arguments if you will um what would be some advice that you give to our our kind of demographic which is the 15 to 35 year olds that are wanting to come be pjs or even any of the aspect war jobs so my big advice that i give to a lot of people is one just start reading books like you guys i looked at your guys's reading list that was on here it's awesome like a lot of good stuff i've read most of them And the reason is we give you guys a lot of written information. 
And we expect you to take it home and read it. And so people that are struggling to read books and information along, like receive it through that medium, they have a hard time because they can either listen to it once when the instructor tells them or start getting critiqued, or all of a sudden they can just take those books home that we're giving them. And it's not a burden. They don't have to spend hours trying to read a few lines. They can just cruise through that thing and start pulling out all that good information. So that's a huge one. Just start reading. And when it comes to that, I don't care what you read. Like if you want to read the books that you guys have on there, which I'd highly recommend a lot of them, do it. It's a great spot. If you just want to read something, go read about somebody killing a dragon. I don't care. But if you can <laughs> read that guy killing that dragon quick, now all of a sudden you can start pulling that information and it just sets you up better later on. So the other big thing is show up physically prepared. If you don't show up physically prepared, we're going to crush you and you aren't going to enjoy it. And it's going to make everything harder. Like the big advantage of being physically prepared is when you're on the X, your heart rate isn't jacked up. So you can still think you can still do an IV. So all of these little as other aspects, it's going to relate to that. And it's going to give you that advantage. So these guys that are physical specimens walking around in these kits and plate carriers are like, yeah, I could probably carry an extra thousand rounds, but why would I? Like you just watch him just float up hills and you're like, wow, that would be nice. These, I, I hate them. I'm so jealous too. Yes. Like the guys that we have, like, you know, specifically you, you look at dudes that are just jacked and just doing great. They're in way better shape. Like, you know, my, my major counterpart here at the two, two SDS is just a square jawed, steely eyed, barrel chested dude. But you, you just yeah. have more, more bandwidth. You know what I mean? Like, and of course, it makes me feel some type of way because it makes me feel less than. But you know what? I think we can deal with that on my own. You know what I mean? It's a knee problem. <laughs> yeah. Like show up physically prepared. And then like the last thing, like just to be super successful is you need to be ready to learn. So any ego you may have showing up, just know that, hey, every instructor you have, they've already done this course. They've done way more than this course. So like when we look at the scenarios, if you're going to complain about them, we design them. And we think they're a joke for us. But the reality is you're a one level. You're a brand new guy. So there are, they are going to be hard and that's okay. Um, some of the students asked me one time how we came up with a timeline for one of our events. And it was a shoot, move, communicate drill. And I was like, well, we made the timeline. Well, I just did it. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, no, I did it with your guys' full loadout and a rock. And then we just took that timeline and we doubled it because we figured <laughs> that's out. That's where you guys should be. <laughs> and they like, when I said that to them, they were just like, oh. oh. You just watch them deflate. The shoulders yeah. go all the way down. They're just like, Because oh. you still have guys <laughs> blowing their timeline and they're like, yeah. wait, what? I'm like, yeah, that's how we came up with it. Like we had our, we had our med doc over here. He was checking it out, like to make sure the scenario made sense. We had our, we had uh, Mr. Van Offord, who's just a tactics guru. He was watching. He's like, yeah, that looks pretty good, Sarge. And then uh, <laughs> just rolling through it like that. And then we're like, yeah. And then I just did it. And we doubled the time. We're like, sounds good, guys. We got a good timeline. And so you need to be like, have that humble mentality where it's, you haven't learned everything yet. Because if you had, you wouldn't be in this course. And so... Be humble about it, ready to learn so that you can just take everything we're saying to you and just really ingest it and internalize it. Once you get out of here, once you get out of our course, 
you're going to start learning other cool ways. But while you're here, just play ball. Be ready to do what we want you to do. And you're going to notice that you're just going to thrive because it won't, it'll get rid of a lot of those decisions that you need because we want you to perform in a certain way. We apply a stimulus because we're looking for a behavior. That's how we look at all this stuff. And so be ready as that student, be ready to learn and you'll notice your life is easy. And so those are kind of like the big pieces of advice I'd really give to a new guy just before they even show up. Man, and that's that's amazing, right? So be, be an adult learner, get those books read and, and make sure that you can take information from it. Be physically fit, provide yourself that bandwidth for when you actually are really, really stressed out and then be humble and be ready to take the information that's giving you. Man, Ty, that's that's great advice. Like we couldn't have said it any better, which is why we have guests on. You know what I mean? If we were so smart, it would just be it would be the three or the four of us and that that would be it. But man, that feels like a great place to end. Uh, Tech Sergeant Ty Hatcher, thanks so much for coming out and talking all three, all things uh, Pararescue Apprentice course. Uh, man, personally, thank you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know it was like a quick phone call and, and this happened over the course of like two days. And, and uh, man, you just you took it on the chin. I appreciate that. But shout out to everybody that's, uh, that's listening and following the project. Go hit up One's Ready. Check out that reading list that Todd was talking about earlier. And then uh, just go over to that notification button and just like just caress it. You know what I mean? Just talk nice to it. And then just give it a little bink. You know, make sure you get consent, but maybe a like, maybe a follow, maybe a review. Share it out there. That would uh, would really help. But this is another one in the book. So from us to you, appreciate it. Train hard. See you next time. Right on.